Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you, Johnny Herbert, for being a guest on In The Pink. And welcome back to the next episode with me, Natalie Pinkham, and supported by Bose, helping you and all of us stay connected throughout these crazy times and through what is a very different Christmas. But you know what? Whilst it's surreal, I think it shows our ability to overcome, adapt, and collectively come together even though we are physically apart. Certainly the first time ever in my life I haven't been with my family for Christmas I'm very lucky to be with my husband and kids but not my mum and dad my brother his wife and kids so it's strange but you know what it's a small sacrifice in the whole scheme of things I've really really enjoyed your company over the last few weeks and all your comments and feedback on the guests that we've had so far here on In The Pink and next up is a man who's closely aligned associated and indeed friends with Johnny Herbert he's a world champion I am, of course, talking about none other than Damon Hill. And Damon, well, you know what? He's not your usual, typical Formula One driver. Can't quite put your finger on it, but listen to this podcast and I think you'll agree. He's a fascinating man, a lovely man, a huge philanthropist and a deep thinker. And of course, very fast and brilliant at analysis of the sport we all love so much. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Damon Hill on In The Pink. Damon, lovely to see you. I've missed you. It's been a couple of races since we've worked together. How are you? What's been happening? Well, I'm fine and we're just muddling through like everyone. Um, We promised we wouldn't talk about it, but of course, how can you not talk about the situation the world is in? And we're all in. Everyone is in the same boat. Well, that's the only reassuring thing, unless you're in tier two or tier one, you're in, in Cornwall or where's it, the Isle of Man or somewhere. Although I've heard, I, I met Mark Webber in um, Bahrain. Yeah. And he's gone back home to Australia where they have no COVID in, I think it's Queenland, Queensland where he lives. And um, so he'll, he has a two week quarantine in a hotel and then he's free as a bird. So he's happy as Larry, I think, in Australia somewhere. Yeah, you've got to take the hit for a fortnight. And then, as you say, I mean, but that's the thing, isn't it? They acted hard and fast. And that's yeah. where we got it wrong. But anyway, we promised we wouldn't talk about it. What I do want to talk about with you, though, is your thoughts on the season, because it was a an incredible sort of collective effort to get racing going and to keep it going was yeah. astonishing. Um, and also the quality of the racing that we saw and 
just some incredible subplots and stories emerged from what was a unique a, a, a unique year in Formula One. Yes, I mean, talk about some major themes being, I mean, the, the whole, um, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter thing cropped up as well. And, you know, Lewis going and winning seven titles and breaking all the Michael Schumacher records and, and the Grosjean accident. I mean, some fantastic racing in there. Uh, you had um, Perez winning his first race and you had Gasly winning his first race. All those. So, yeah, so, I mean, Formula One does somehow, sometimes it has a, a massive yawn fest like the last race. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I did feel a bit bad because I, 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 I'm a, we're growing up, I was obviously a big, massive uh, Python fan. And so this is great interview with um, Michael Palin, who goes for a job with uh, a job. He wants a more exciting job. And he goes to see John Cleese in the job center. And he says, uh, what job do you do? So well, I'm an accountant. And he says, well, that's quite exciting, isn't it? He says, no, it's dull, it's dull, dull. So I clipped that bit out and I'm afraid that's what I posted about the last race. What can you say? It was, it, nothing much happened, but then we've been spoiled, you know, because of all the other exciting stuff that has happened. And, actually, and, and it does happen every now and then. Yeah, I was, I was weirdly grateful for the fact that there wasn't a massive crash or any horrible drama that everyone came out of it unscathed and we were able to sign off the season fairly calmly. Yes. I'm, I, the reason I'm not looking directly at you, Natalie, which is uh, obviously very difficult to do, but I'm trying to turn off the bloody notifications things um, so you don't get these bings all the way through my... Well, I don't know how to do it. So you might get the odd bing and bong from, from something posting or email arriving or something. That's so, fine for me. That's fine. Yeah. And um, do, do you have a particular highlight? You know, you picked out a few of them then. If, if I could, you know, narrow it down to just one moment... What would it be for you from 2020? One moment. This is always the hardest question. It's like, what's your favourite song? You know, I, how do you choose? It depends on where you are. But I think it has to be the, the George Russell race. I mean, you know, the, the, the excitement. And I'm very sorry for Lewis and I'm very sorry for, um, for Valtteri, who weren't, you know, but basically this was a Star is Born moment, wasn't it? It was a guy gets a shot at his big moment and he was doing amazingly well and sadly it all, it all went really pear-shaped um but you know he still had a great race and showed what he could do and that that was a that was a brilliant moment because I'm always asked this question about Formula One if they all had the same equipment who would win the race well you know this is sadly the fact of of our sport we can't they can't all have the same equipment it's part of the DNA of the sport but someone got a stab at showing what they could do and um, the reason he got into that car was because he'd already shown what he could do from being in Williams and, and his two years there. So, yeah, it's very it was a very exciting moment. Um, anything like that where you've got I mean, Perez, you know, Perez winning the race. I was, you know, it's a it's a tearjerker, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. it's fantastic stuff. Yeah. And what do you make of the news that's just broken about Checo? off the back of that win, securing his seat in Formula One for next year and partnering Max Verstappen? Yes, I think that's that's great. I mean, that, that he is, I've always said, I would have liked to have seen him in Ferrari. And, and you know, I've been saying this for quite a long time because I, I think he's such a solid deliverer for a team. Um, he he's, seems to be apolitical. He seems to uh, be very much liked. And I, I was so impressed by him when we had the Mexican Grand Prix and we first went to Mexico and he was worked to death because clearly he was the local hero. 
Um, but he never, he kept a smile on his face and he, and he just gave everyone whatever they wanted. And, and, and they were so enthusiastic in Mexico. I just thought, put him in a Ferrari. I mean, they'd just go berserk. The whole of South America would go potty for him. And I know he's North American, Mexico is North America. Keep making that mistake, but it's North America. But anyway, America then. <laughs> I guess um, the question is with, with Formula One is that obviously um, it's important to nurture new talent and, to, and you, know, you don't want to undermine the system that you've got by going outside of it to look for your drivers. But equally, you have to win. And Alex Albon's clearly a talent and I'm just a lovely, lovely guy. But they mm. must have got to the point that they're like, look, we need a stronger partnership here, even if it means ignoring yeah. someone within our stable. Yeah. Is that is it's, that is that the constant juggle that people? Yeah, have to I mean, it, it's, it's it's like a cricket team, isn't it? You need someone who's going to score a hundred. You know, you need someone in there who's going to be able to protect the wicket and um, you know keep and come back with something at least. And and there's a little bit of uncertainty with Alex, you know, and it, it, for whatever di reason, it's very difficult in that team for a teammate. Um, I think Sergio being more mature, having had more experience, I think he'll be able to see what's going on. He, it, 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 very difficult for a young person who's beholden to Red Bull. I mean, Sergio will not be, his life does not depend on Red Bull. So he'll be able to act um, as a you know, strong player within that team and they'll have to listen to what he says because he's got quite a lot of experience now. That's a really more interesting more than Max. Point. Don't forget. Yeah, that's yeah. I, you know, that's that's. Yeah. I look at something like a team like when you have a very talented driver. Sometimes a team can go off in a tangent because the driver says, "I like that," and um, sometimes the drivers can be wrong. Sometimes drivers can have so much natural talent they could drive anything. Doesn't matter how bad it is, you know, and they can make it go quick but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going in the right direction with the car. Mm. But it's an interesting point that, you know, they obviously have been trying to nurture this young talent and bring it through, but it is, has been something of a poison chalice taking on uh, Max Verstappen, you know, the garage opposite yours. And that's, you know, the minute Gasly gets demoted, he has the best season of his life. You know, there's, yeah. that's no coincidence, is it? Well, that's not well. What it what does that mean? I mean, it could mean that the the car, the balance they have in the car in the the Alpha Tauri, is actually better for that driver. You know, don't it's one of the things that doesn't get explored as much as it should do. I don't think in the current era of Formula One. When I was driving, um, I was the data logger in a sense. You know, they had the data, but they what I said or what a driver of my era would say to the engineers they'd listen to because clearly it's important that they they give the guy something he can drive but now it seems to me that the it's the engineering that it comes first so they look at the data they'll look at the results and they'll say this is the optimum and if we can get you to learn to drive it then uh, then we'll get the maximum out of it and some people can do that I mean but it is you know it's like uh, you know, giving the wrong golf clubs to a golfer, you know, mm -hmm. if it's not his style, then, then it can mess up his, his game. So I'm much more in the view of that you have to provide a car that suits the driver, because after all, they're the end user. So a sort of bespoke approach. Yeah, that's what they're there to do. That's what I understand. It, you know, they, they want performance, but you know, you can, it's been shown enough times, if you give optimum performance, it's, it's almost, un, sometimes it's un, almost undrivable. If you look at something like an F-18 
um, fighter, you know, those ones with the canard front wings, they need a computer to control it. A human can't do it. You know, it will flip backwards. You know, there's no way you can stay on top of it. Um, so in our sport, it's supposed to be a sport that measures uh, drivers' skills. And so I, I've, I've always taken the view that, you know, the, the voice of the driver actually is really important in our sport. That's what people want to hear. They, the, the fans, I think, follow the drivers. And I think they're getting the technology in our sport is so huge now that it's very difficult for a driver to come in and say, that's wrong. <laughs> How are you, you going to argue with uh, James Allison and, uh, you know, all these, and Adrian Newey and, and all these brilliant engineers? You, you can't really argue with data. So how would you deal then with a situation like Ferrari's whereby, I mean, clearly the, the car isn't um, strong enough, but you've got Leclerc wringing the neck of it, getting the very best out of an yeah. underperforming car. And clearly it just doesn't suit Seb or something yeah. else. I don't know whether something else has gone up here for him, but he's a four-time world champion and he, yeah. he's so far behind his young teammate. It's astonishing. Yeah, yeah the, the wheel sort of came off a little bit with Seb when he was, even when he was at Red Bull. And I think that when they, they said, when he went away from the blown diffuser, you know, it affected his driving style. So that, that really sort of um, supports my argument, which is that some drivers flourish with a particular kind of setup on a car. And um, I mean, certainly when I went from the normal tires to the groove tires, I just hated driving those cars. They were just horrible. And, you know, if you don't love driving it, then it's very difficult to deliver your, your best performance. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, a good driver should be able to adapt as well. And, you know, people like Ayrton could drive, you could give him anything and he'd make it go quick. Um, but if you gave him a better car, he'd be more consistent. That's the, if you could imagine Ayrton being more consistent. Something the world continues to evolve and the new norm isn't fully clear yet. But what does remain constant is the core message from our friends at Bose. Stay calm, stay centred and stay connected. Communication is key in everything we do and goes a long way to nurturing both ourselves and our relationships with others. So continue to talk about what matters to you. And don't be afraid to block out unhelpful noise or indeed to embrace silence, because doing both can be great. Some of the ways we work will have changed forever. Embrace that. Make those new ways work for you. Shape the new norm to suit you. Feel more, do more, be more with Bose. Something else that we've got to look forward to next year, other than Chaco in a Red Bull, is Mick Schumacher mm. uh, coming onto the grid in a Haas. How do you feel about your old adversary's son joining Formula One? Well, there's two, there's two ways to look at it. Obviously, um, I wasn't a, big, a particularly big fan of his dad's <laughs> for whatever reason. You know, Michael was quite hard to love uh, as, a, as a driver. I mean, unless you're a German, uh, you know, he was a God, living God, still is in Germany. Um, but as a competitor, he made life quite difficult. And uh, was, was, he didn't give any kind of hint that, you know, there was uh, any love there at all. So he's quite a, quite a tough customer. Um, but obviously the story that's unfolded since he retired and his accident and, and skiing with his son and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's an absolutely awful, tragic story. And, and it's, and it's another one of those, um, 
uh, uplifting stories really that 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 mix come back and and he wants to be a racing driver and he's clearly talented and i think there'll be a lot of people wanting to, wanting him to uh, to do well and wanting to see him see his personality i mean i it's a difficult thing i've seen some of his moves he's someone ha- some people have already compared him to michael uh, in some of his what do you think? He's quite aggressive. Well, I only saw a little bit, but he, you know, he defended himself uh, quite vic- vigorously uh, in uh, in Abu Dhabi, didn't he? In the, um, when they were trying to queue up for qualifying and stuff like that. So, um, you know, he. Uh, but he seems like a nice kid. I've met him. He's. Um, but these people are competitors naturally. You've met enough of them now. You know, they can have a lovely smiley face, but you know, you put them in a competition and, and they're turning to killers. So yeah. that's what they're yeah, like. Assassins, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested though in this idea of um, fathers and sons. And I, I wanted to ask you whether you thought you would have been a Formula One driver had it not been for your dad. Well, I honestly think if my dad had lived, I probably would not have been a racing driver. I, I think I, was, I would have certainly loved racing bikes, but you know, he probably would have said, you're not racing bikes. You know, I mean, who would want their, their, any of their children to go and race a bike? It, it was, you know, I, did it, I didn't have anyone when I was, so from the age of 15, I had no dad around me to tell me what to do. So I just was a free agent. I did what I liked. And my poor mom was probably a bit anxious about me racing bikes. But, um, you know, I love, I love my bikes. You see, there's a picture of me. I don't know if you can see that one. I'll show, show you that one. Yeah, that is- That's a picture of me when I was a bit younger riding a bike no helmet of course um you know um but my dad he he re- did motocross and stuff so and my grandma rode a motorbike so you talk we don't talk about the influence of um you know genes and and uh where it all comes from and and, and women not getting enough uh uh you know uh, uh appreciation for their input then you'd have to say my my grandma was the first person in our family to really be to get on motorized vehicles so she might have produced two world champions. She did produce two world champions. I got a fabulous picture of her with uh, gaunt after the first world war. She's got gauntlets on and jodhpurs. It's like flying, you know, <laughs> you wear those kind of wide trousers and on some old AJS or something like that. And my granddad, my dad's dad, never drove a car at all in his life. So it didn't come from him. That's crazy. But you've got a, a competitive streak in you from your mum as well. She was a yeah. high performing athlete, wasn't she? She was more famous than my dad when they first met. So uh, there's an article with uh, introducing Graham Hill to motorsport. Someone's written an article on this. They said there's this chap, Graham Hill, who turned up in the Lotus and he's, he's uh, married to the famous oarswoman, um, Betty Hill, or Betty Shoebrook, as she was then. So she rode for England um, in the eights. And yeah, she was a, a, strapping, <laughs> a strapping woman. She had you know, plenty of power in her legs and... Uh, and so she was uh, probably one of the that added a bit of horsepower there. That's great. So, yeah. so just going back to your decision. Well, first of all, to compare your love for two wheels to those of four. You, you, you did make the decision to, to make the switch. But instinctively, did you want to stay on on bikes? Yeah, but it wasn't going to be a career, you know, and I and I I was one of these kids, you know, like, like a lot of the drivers you will have spoken to when they got it in their head they wanted to go racing they didn't want to do anything else they had everything else seemed very dull and and unattractive and 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 so it was racing for me and i and i thought well if someone's gonna pay for me to 
you know, get a drive and, and take care of all that and help me get a seat, then, then maybe I shouldn't, um, you know, what's the point of persevering with the bikes? Because it's almost certain you're going to break your legs and break your, break your arms. I've already got a broken collarbone and a broken wrist. But um, so, yeah, it was a kind of pragmatic decision. And there was this momentum that built up and someone suggested it to my mum that they could, a guy who ran Brands Hatch said, well, I can get him in a car. Let's see what he's like. And I sort of half-heartedly went for it and thought, oh God, what is this? What have I got myself into here? And I absolutely hated it because I was rubbish and I was last and I, you know, and I hated that. And so the competitive side of me kicked in and I decided, well, that's enough of that. We've got to set the record straight here. So I, I then put all of my energies into, into turning that around. I, I think I succeeded. <laughs> I, think you, I think it's safe to say you did. Uh, but, but like Mick is asked endlessly and before he's even joined the grid, what about the pressure of the surname? How much of a difference does that make? Um, I, I, can I advertise an, another podcaster? Yeah, um, I'd love you to. Because um, there's a great podcast with um, Nika or Nico's podcast, uh, Beyond Victory, with uh, Michael Douglas, who, of course, had got a famous dad. So that's two famous sons talking about the influence of a famous dad. And um, it's very difficult to say you're aware that people you're identified. So you're, you're aware of that when you're very young. So the moment you go, when you're trying to be just like any other kid, you're identified as having a famous dad and that can kind of uh, tilt any kind of relationship that you have with anybody because they you don't know whether they're interested in you because your dad's famous or whether you know there's a genuine kind of relationship there so it gets a bit complicated um but when you go into the same profession then of course inevitably there's going to be this unavoidable comparison it's quite difficult to get it out of other people's heads. And then in some ways you have to kind of go, well, it's not gonna come out. You're not, you can't control that at all. So it's, it's obvious to everyone that I wore my dad's crash helmet. So I'd already made the decision that I was a continuance, if you like, of the story. I'd carried this thing forward by using the same crash helmet design that he did. So I, I identified with my dad and I saw it as a kind of, homage to him or some sort of tribute to him in, in some sense that I was carrying on. Um, and I think that became a, an asset then. I think that people, once they saw I could do well, they started, that started to go in my favor a bit. I mean, Jack never mentioned his dad. You, you couldn't get Jack to comment on, on Jill Villeneuve hardly at all. And um, um, why do you think well, that? a different, I mean, his dad died quite, you know, publicly in, um, my son is saying goodbye. One minute, you'll appreciate oh. He's at the window. <laughs> um, is it Ollie? Uh, <laughs> he's very excited about Christmas. Is it Oliver? Oliver, yeah, yeah. Oh, bye-bye, yeah, so Oliver. He's got his red, he's got a lovely red coat on. Oh. It's very Christmassy. <laughs> and he's at the window and he's, because um, I know that people listen to this as well, don't they? <laughs> so you can't see him but there you are bye see you at christmas yeah how lovely i want to talk more about ollie later actually yeah because he's a dude yes right yeah, you, 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 so, where were we um, um yeah jill, so that, jill and jack yeah why you think but your dad died in very public circumstances as well 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know something with with Jack. You know, um, they used to do these videos. They used to sell. This is in the days before YouTube and stuff. Um, and they used to. It was a series of videos that were just about crashes, and you used to see them playing in pubs and stuff. And they'd show crashes. And you could have been in a bar somewhere, and they would have been showing um, Jill Vernell's accident. Now, um, you know, we recently had the reaction from the drivers in in uh, sorry in Bahrain Sakir Grand Prix with uh, to Grosjean's accident and and the shock that they felt in seeing it replayed so um that that can be quite um difficult to deal with I, you can imagine if, if Jacques growing up and that's and he was only eight years old when his dad died so um you know I think that that was slightly different to my dad in a way mm. and um and he never really got to have any kind of relationship, really, eight years old. So, um, and, and I shouldn't really be talking about it because it's his story. You know, it's not, it's, it's just, I mean, but having been teammates with him, we never spoke about these things at all. But um, so you'd think there would be some common ground because we both had famous racing driver dads, but, um, you know, it, you didn't go there. That wasn't part of the, you didn't want to talk about that. So that everyone's different, I guess. You can't, you can't generalize yeah. about these things. No, absolutely. And that, that must have been one of his coping mechanisms. But it is interesting to me how uh, your dad's death and, you know, was able to motivate you and you were able to spurn you on to. And, and you actually said you wouldn't have gone into it had he lived. I mean, that's that's I think not because I, th I think he would. Well, his team would have carried on. So I, I would have probably been more like Johnny Williams. You know, <laughs> I'd been like, you know, I'd have been uh, very proud. Uh, supporter of the team maybe got a job with the team or something like that and um, uh, I don't think I would have had the the nerve to kind of hey say hey dad um, what about me you know 
What about me having a go? But then how did you feel? And again, this is tremendous sadness, I would presume. And again, we can't speak on their behalf, but for Mick, not for his dad not to be there yeah. when he joins the grid in Formula One. How, how, how difficult was that for you that, that your dad wasn't there to witness it in person? Well, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult having that event happen to anyone in their life you know so you kind of you in a way you don't think of it that way you think of it as that's being a that being a separate event i i um would i have liked my dad well my, when my son started my other son josh started racing i kind of went through this experience of being the, the dad on the sidelines watching him <laughs> and i did think to myself I, if my dad had been around how difficult would it would it have been for him to not get involved you know, to stand back. Because the moment he would have turned up at a racetrack, all the people that work on your son's car are going to be going, oh, crikey, you know, um, it's Graham Hill. <laughs> I hope we're doing it. We're not going to screw it up. for Because he could be quite an imposing character. I mean, people liked him, but he was also quite, quite a powerful personality. So um, you'd never get any buffer. You'd never get this, this zone where you're kind of, not influencing or he wouldn't have been influencing so i i don't know how it would have worked and do you buy into the theory that most boys spend their lives trying to to get their dad's approval i think that any child wants and needs their parents approval i mean not unquestioning and 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 you know uh and not um uh, in any way you know uh, balanced but when when I got I realized with Josh that you know if I was trying to what I thought was help him he didn't want that because actually what he wanted to do was show me what he could do not have me tell him what I knew and so this is this is where you get into the teaching profession you know and the, the skills of a teacher is to is to let the child um, show them what they're capable of and give them the, the, the feedback they need to, to, to encourage them to, to keep going in that direction. I think it's very difficult to, you, you, you know, any family, your mother, I know, you know, you, you're you very encouraging and supportive uh, person. I've seen that with your children. You give them good, good you know, lots of positive um, feedback in and of themselves, you know, and so they get this, they get this self-confidence that they can kind of plow they can go out in the world and they'll plow through everything. Um, and um, it, it, that was, um, uh, that's something that's very important. I mean, I don't, I don't believe in completely unconditional a- approval because you get, you can, if you like, get these egomaniac children. Yeah. <laughs> but you need some, you need that at, to, 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 to sustain you in Formula One. You know, you need a lot of uh, confidence, so inner confidence. Someone like Fernando Alonso has not got a glimmer of weakness, has he? I mean, he's just incredible. And Danny Ricardo is obviously very, he's very comfortable with himself. He's, he's a lovely guy, but he's up and he's, you know, and then there's other drivers who, who, who seem a little bit, you know, slightly vulnerable, say the wrong thing or whatever. And they're kind of, you know, you put Lewis in that category a little bit. I yeah. mean, you know, he's... Um, so, but he's got this incredible talent <laughs> that yeah. kind of overcomes all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, how do we get onto them? Um, 
Well, no, I think we're talking about the, yeah. the father-son thing. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. and, and mother-son and mother-daughter and father-daughter, but it's a really interesting dynamic between father and son. And I, and I always wonder, this whole nature-nurture thing as well, if you're growing up as the son of a world champion, whether you instinctively are drawn to that because that's all you've known around you, or whether you do have an innate talent because you've inherited it from yeah. your parent. Um, and, and equally, you might go a completely different direction, but feel as if you're you're kind of swimming upstream a bit that actually it might be easier to go the same route as your yeah. father and then again the flip side of that all is 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 the dads who then live vicariously through yeah. their sons and you could argue yeah. that about lance and lawrence stroll or yeah. um, nikita mazapan and his dad because you yeah. know, they've actually bought teams they've invested so yeah. heavily in their sons future yeah. for, for it to play out it's just a fun fascinating dynamic uh, it is it is a difficult question these days. I think you know because uh, clearly it was a lot simpler. I think when my dad was racing because most most of the guys who raced did it against their parents' wishes. They literally, if you look back, and the Louders, uh, the Hunts, the Stewarts, you know, their parents didn't want them to do it. They wouldn't talk to them. They they you know they so they were furious that they'd gone off and and done whatever they wanted to do. Now you have the opposite where you have you know guys. Dad's saying, do you know how much I spent on your go-kart? And, uh, you know, and you're standing around here in the peeing rain. You bloody get out there and win it, you know. And, um, and these kids are kind of working for their dads, you know. You know. So, it's, so it's very, you know, you have to be sure it's them who want it. They, they're driving it. Um, and ultimately, Josh decided he didn't want it. He, you know, he, yeah. he, he, he did a stint. And, and, and why was that? I think he found out what he needed to know. I think he found out that he was good. He had the talent, he had the ability, but it, this was not a world and a life that he wanted to to live in because it can be it can be kind of brutal. You know, it can be it's not not an easy place to be in when you're constantly under threat and and, and having to compete. You know, some people are naturals at it. You know, the the driving is one thing, but the, being the competitor is 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 another thing. I mean, I think that somewhere Mike, Michael Schumacher was a natural competitor. I mean, Ayrton was a natural competitor. Nansel, you know, some people just thrive in a competitive world. They love it. They love the cut and thrust of it. Other people just go, well, why would I want to be to live my life like that the whole time? In the Pink and Bows want to support you in whatever way we can during these uncertain and constantly evolving times. So we're giving away more noise-cancelling headphones to bring some added calm to your life. To win the headphones, just tag in the three friends you're most looking forward to reconnecting with once lockdown is fully lifted. Always include the hashtag Bose, and those headphones could be yours. Good luck and stay connected. Do you know, when I was talking to Johnny on this podcast, um, he was saying that he did believe that racing drivers are just wired differently that you kind of have to be. It strikes me though about you that you're not your typical racing driver. Hmm. And I know people have said that to you before, haven't they? There's a sort of well, is there a typical race? humility to you that you don't see in that many racing I think, drivers. Uh, Natalie, I think I, I'm, I'm curious uh, about everything. I'm curious about 
everything I do, I'm curious about every, what everything every, everyone else does. I keep looking at things and going, why, why do we do it that way? And why are those people like, and I spend most of my time with my head in the clouds, you know, and Simon will attest to this because he, he gets infuriated because I look like I'm not concentrating, but I, I'm half, my half brain is listening to him and the other half is thinking about something else. And I know when he wants to get my attention. <laughs> but, but a lot of the time I'm standing there thinking, why are we here? What are we doing here? Why, what is Formula One? You know, what is it? What really? I mean, you know, Sky invests all this money because there's so much interest in it, but in some ways Sky have created the interest and I see how hard Sky work. You know, you could, I've been to a race when I haven't had the earphones on and I haven't been listening to the show. Oh my God, it was a long day. There doesn't seem like there's much happening. So all this stuff that Sky do, they just get all this information. They keep feeding you information and turn things into stories. And you, you know, you go and do your interview with a driver and you ask them personal questions about. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, that's where the entertainment comes. We're, I think it's a learning. I think it's actually humans have an overwhelming need to learn and understand about things. Well, you certainly do. I mean, that curiosity is clearly what made you a world champion because you're questioning, you're pushing, you're asking the right questions. Yeah, or well, you have an objective in the sport, which is, you know, you need to win. So you've got all these, I mean, first of all, there's brilliant organisation. And secondly, there's these brilliant designers and engineers who are one track mind. There's a simple answer to their question. How fast does the car go around this in a little circle? Uh, and and they de- they'll just, they love it. They are boffins who love sticking things in computers and seeing the answer come out or <laughs> coming up with an idea and stuff. And they, if you look at what happened with Sky, with, with sorry, with um, this year's COVID, you know, most people sat home went, well, that's it, no season, blah, blah. No, they, they go, we can do this. And the same people that can put people into space and, and, and men on the moon, you know, they, they are, that is, that's why Formula One is fascinating from that point of view in that what you thought was possible is actually, or what you thought was impossible is not impossible. That's what it does. And that's where it's constantly fascinating, I think, and constantly impressive. Mm. Um, it might not be everyone's cup of tea, um, but, you know, it does do the, the impossible. Uh, and is that why you're still interested in it? Is that why you work in broadcasting so you can still be involved in this sport that you've, that, that keeps your interest? Well, uh, the, the truth is, Natalie, as you know, I, I got involved with Sky because Josh was racing and I thought I could earn a bit of money. I could uh, pay for his racing as well. And I thought I'd get a little bit close because I sort of drifted away from the sport a bit and I thought I need to get back in there and understand what and then he stopped racing so then I was still there and so I thought why am I doing this and um, then I thought it's quite fun you know I've enjoyed working with with the team with with the the Sky Bunch and um, it is enjoyable and I you know I I, as long as I've got something to offer yeah then uh, that's good. I mean, I, don't, I can't just be there if I'm not giving something back. So, you know, if Sky think I've got something to give and, and I'm happy to give it, I'm, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed doing it, you know, just following this story, a continuous story. Sometimes it is repeating some stories, but um, which can be a bit boring, but um, that's a word you try to avoid, boring, isn't it? You just, you know. Oh, yeah. and, 
And I think as long as you are um, asking questions of yourself and of the sport and of the wider world, then that approach is always going to offer up something for yeah. viewers because that's the way your brain and mind and heart mm. work. I think one thing I've definitely noticed about you is that, that, that you aren't fully immersed in the sport to the extent that it's a sort of parochial tunnel vision that you that you have got this wider understanding and appreciation of the world and I wondered actually because you know I know you do a huge amount of charity work whether um your other son Oliver is is a part of that how he's kind of yeah um you know having down syndrome and, and help maybe helped you see the world in a slightly different way I think um it's always been part of my uh the, the way i see things um i mean i think growing up in the 60s you know we were very aware of the beatles and uh and the whole um the philosophy that, that was around at the time which was questioning of just this ever onwards upwards trajectory with with life you know was this necessarily the right the right way forward and I, I do think that Formula One is a little bit of a microcosm of, um, or a symptom, if you like, a product of that mindset, because it can't it can't stop to pick up the, the stragglers. You know, the stragglers will will fall off the bottom. Well, of course, in our society, we that would mean Oliver. You know, Oliver is a straggler. He's he needs help. He needs he needs support people around him. So, um, you know, he can't survive in a competitive world. And lots of people can't survive in, a, in an ultra competitive world. They're just not made for it. They're not suited to it. So, you know, we have to work out how we can create, uh, you know, lift up people from the bottom. Um, how do we do that? And then when you're working in Formula One, that is a kind of, that's not a thought that really gets much, um, <laughs> gets much time. Does it trouble you? I mean, you know, that. Well, um, this is worlds on a personal and a professional level. Well, this is where I think this year has been interesting. I think that Lewis is um, using his platform and, uh, you know, you can you can say, OK, well, he's a bit of a hypocrite. You know, he's talking about the environment. And there he is jetting all over the world and racing cars. Um, you know, he's got a fine old, uh, you know, uh, time. Um, but he's actually saying, well, listen, there, what is what is the he's drawing attention to these issues and we cannot avoid them. You know, we had uh, just a piece I read recently, Toto talking about the Renault going around at uh, Abu Dhabi because, you know, lots of excitement about this old car. And he was saying that this is this is at a time when we you know, had cigarette sponsorship on it, you know, and it was gas guzzling and puking out poisonous fumes. Well, we now know we can't do this anymore. We have to find a better way forward. And we now know that it's all very well if everything's great for us, but if, if people are, uh, of color or you know, black people or Asian people or whoever they are can't get in or women can't get in because we've made this in, in unconscious barrier to, to our world, then that's wrong. You know? So these issues have, will, will affect Formula One. They always have done. Eventually they had to affect Formula One. If you take the smoking ban, for example, eventually it got us. Eventually it came and, and said, that, you know, the world said, well, we're going to ban cigarette smoking. Now what are you going to do? You're going to be the only people <laughs> flogging cigarettes, you know, and they all went, oh, we'll have to find some other. And I remember the famous 
story with Max and Bernie going to see Tony Blair to try and stop them from banning cigarette sponsorship of Formula One. And the argument was, oh, there's 50,000 jobs at, at, at stake and there's so much money, you know, we need this money. Well, when they got rid of tobacco, there was never more money in Formula One than ever before. It was suddenly, there was loads more money that came from banks actually. <laughs> but um, so, uh, yeah, you want to feel good about, you want to feel good that you're, that you're actually, if you're going to plug Formula One, you want to feel good about it. Mm. You know, you want to be able to say, this is a good thing. It's a positive thing for the world and it's got a lot to offer and we, we can find these solutions. And, and do you feel good about it? I think some things I feel good about. I like everything. You know, it's not, it's never going to be perfect. I, I think um, our biggest problem is going to be justifying the, the travel, I think. Yeah. And the numbers of people that go to races are because, you know, the carbon footprint of the manufacturer of the manufacturing of the show is going to be put into in the spotlight. Um, so carbon offsetting, I don't know how we're going to do it, but yeah, finding ways. But if, like I said before, if there's anyone who can put their mind to it and come up with better solutions, Formula One is, is well-placed to do that. It's got some very brilliant people in it. And it does feel like people are listening within the sport. I mean, obviously, with regards to the BLM um, discussions and debates that, you know, Lewis has really forced that agenda, which which is great. And it was a shame that it, it took someone of his stature to do that, but it did. It needed it needed Lewis behind it to ask the difficult questions, to be no. disruptive. But you know, now it does feel like people are listening. Yeah, you know, Gandhi said something interesting about women's rights because someone said because when he was um, his wife, it was it was commented on his uh, lifestyle at home where he had his wife was basically just quite servile and, and, you know, he got whatever he wanted. And, and the interviewer said, uh, you know, you talk about equality and all this thing, you're, what about your, your wife, you know? And he, and he said, well, women have to fight for their own, their own cause. You know, if someone else fights for your cause, if I was to say, um, you know, it's not fair that women uh, don't get this, that, and the other, you'd think of me slightly, you look at me slightly suspiciously because I think, well, why would I be doing that? I mean, you know, it's- but We need you. We need you to further the cause. It has to be a collaborative well, effort. Otherwise well, we don't have a strong enough voice. I, that's the how way, I feel. The way I, the way I think it works, Natalie, is that, you know, if you're, in a, if you're, you're in a meeting and you want to make a point, you have to convince the other people to see your point of view and you have to fight for your point of view. And you, if you feel strongly enough about your point of view and it's a good point of view and it has value, then we will adopt it. We'd be very difficult to resist someone's point of view. Um, but if someone else says, oh, let's talk, let's all talk about Natalie over there. Cause no one, you know, no, she, she doesn't get looking. How would you feel about that? You, no, that's that's not, true. Yeah, when you put it like that, yeah. 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 So how do you feel as a father of someone with Down syndrome that the world has changed um, through his lifetime? Oh, yeah, massively. I mean, it, that's a good example, actually. That's a good measure. Um, I might his brothers and sisters just completely get Oliver and, and their friends get Oliver. When my mum, you know, when we, we became clear that we'd had a child with Down syndrome, my mum from a different era, thought this was a tragedy. You know, this is a terrible tragedy and, and oh my God, what are we gonna do? And, and, um, and in those days, 
uh, it was seen as a social stigma and, you know, people literally hid their children away. Um, so uh, nowadays, you know, people with Down syndrome are in, in so, uh, you know, things like EastEnders and, you know, informing people, making people familiar with uh, autism or Down syndrome or whatever, then they're less frightened of, they're less awkward, they don't know, they don't, they lose their, their, their phobias about these things. Um, and, uh, and so Oliver is, you know, he's able to operate in the world and he, you know, goes to the shop, everyone knows who he is and he's, you know, he's part of the community, which is, which is the way it should be. So it's changed an awful lot, even in, in his lifetime. So he's 32 now. So he's been empowered, not just by you as a family, but by those around him. You, f you feel that the conversation is, is yeah. It, is, you know, yeah. and people's mindsets are progressive in a way that, you know, they certainly weren't 30 years ago. Yeah, and I think it is part of this combined effort to, to uh, rid ourselves of these, um, of these prejudices. You know, I think you see it in, obviously in, in uh, drama, you know, drama somehow, whether it's a, you know, soap opera or whether it's uh, Strictly Come Dancing or whatever, you know, you'll see the media is able to, to influence things. I think, mm. I, you know, you have to, it's a double-edged sword, but you have to be a little bit too careful. I'm not, I'm not too comfortable with the political correctness, you know, if it's too, too severe. I think we have to have room for people being offensive, you know, because if we just shut down any kind of uh, uh, kind of um, tough language, then we'll, we'll be living in some sort of strange kind of utopian world where, you know, I, 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 I worry about, I like be, people being honest and being able to speak freely. Um, and also how can you say something and, and it's a joke uh, or not, you know, you, ha yeah. you have to be able to. So, but, uh, but generally speaking, it's it's better now that that those issues have been put into uh, the world, and younger people coming through are more comfortable and less concerned about social stigma to do with whatever. Yeah, I mean, anyone who hasn't seen it needs to see the Peanut Butter Falcon. They, that, yeah, they, that, isn't it a lovely film? Yeah, that's beautiful, beautiful film. And the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great stuff. We, we regularly and that, go and light a little fire pit and put the soundtrack on and yeah. have a glass of wine and chat about the movie. And I think that must that was a bit that was a breakthrough film. Must have must have um, meant a lot to, to you and Georgie as well. Yeah, like we enjoyed that. it. I I, I think um, shouldn't generalise. People with Down syndrome they love they love to perform. They are uh, you know they're pretty good performers. They it's quite hard to get them off the stage sometimes. Really? <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, so um, Langdon Down, the guy who, the doctor who gave the name Down Syndrome, mm. uh, his had a hospital, big hospital in uh, near Teddington, uh, Normansfield. And it was a home, let's be honest. You know, it was a big wealthy people from Victorian society would want their, their Down Syndrome children to be looked after. They'd go there. And everybody who worked in, in, the, in the hospital um, had to be able to perform. And there's a theater there. If you go there, so the Down Syndrome Association um, were donated the uh, part of this building. The rest of it was developed into, uh, into houses and, you know, and apartments. But the original building's there and the original Victorian theater is the most beautiful grade one listed 
Victorian theatre because Dr. Langdon built it there because he knew that people with Down syndrome just loved to perform. So everyone had, you know, they put on shows and, you know, and everyone had to be able to play an instrument. And so it was great time. How wonderful. I never yeah. knew that. That is great. <laughs> and just um, just tell everyone about your about your charity and if anyone wants to support it, how they can. Well, obviously, I mentioned the Down Syndrome Association, but that's more of a, an organisational thing. But our particular charity is a local one to where I live uh, in Surrey, Guildford, Woking, the, that sort of area. Uh, it's called HALO, H-A-L-O-W, um, which is the first letters of the five children who uh, were the children of the parents who decided to set up the charity. So we made an acronym, which is called HALO. Uh, the Halo Project, and you can go to haloproject.org.uk and find out all about it there. Um, we had to cancel our cycle ride this year um, because of COVID, uh, but we've had some other events which have raised some money. But um, they provide uh, they provide activities that are learning activities and, and nurturing activities. They nurture confidence. They kind of help kids grow. So it's for young people. But, you know, we say young, you know, anything up to 40, 50. <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it, though? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, how long does someone with, you know, pardon well, my ignorance, how long do they need support? Is it forever? Well, I, I mean, talking about growing up, I haven't grown yeah. up yet, Natalie, and I'm 60. So, uh, you know, I, I like to do all the same things that they do, which is socialise, do parties, discos, yeah you know, and bowling and anything. Yeah. Which we obviously can't do because of COVID. But yeah, support, generally speaking, we try to we try to create as much independence as possible. So that's yeah. the goal is because actually, like we know now, you know, whenever people do things for us, we are infantilized, you know, we are kind of um, uh, neutered in some way. So it's it's worse to do as too much for people than it is yeah. for them to um, to to take risks. You know, it's quite nerve wracking when you see Ollie going off down the road, you know, on his own. But he's so happy that he's got his independence and he can decide what he wants to do. That's so true. Interestingly, I was having this conversation just last night with Nick Hamilton, Lewis's brother, whose parents decided very early on that they weren't going to support him when he was, you know, when they realised he had cerebral palsy. Not, 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 not support him altogether, but not yeah. pick him up when he fell. Literally yeah. um, and metaphorically, and it's made him an incredibly strong guy now. Who he yeah. doesn't need a wheelchair. Who races cars, um, has got an incredible outlook on life. But it would mm -hmm. you would think would go against all your instincts as a parent who just wants to run up and wrap you in cotton wool and keep yeah. you safe. Yeah, uh, I think it's. I think when people want help, they they they'll ask. You know, and I think that um, I'm also doing some stuff with um, mental health as well. Um, that's another end to it because the problem with that is that people don't ask for help and they need it and so it's knowing that there are times when you can you can say okay can I have a, a bit of a leg up um, and there'll be people who are the right people to do that for you um, you know it's um, it's worth the worst thing is is when you've got people fussing over you isn't it and uh, you know I quite like being fussed over I know but that's it doesn't happen very often though <laughs> well, that I is a lady's that's I a lady's prerogative. Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
Thank you so much, Damon, for your company. And thank you for being such a valued member of our Sky F1 team. I think you help us all see life in a slightly different way. And that is so important. Thank you also to you and Johnny for the book that is Lights Out Full Throttle. Now, I know you listeners will be cursing me right now because you'll say, well, it's too late to buy it for friends and family as a Christmas present. Thanks for the heads up. Really bad timing. But you know what? I think you all could do with it right now. January and February are long, dark months. So why not get it as a bit of a pick-me-up for the new year? Lights out, full throttle with our dynamic duo that is Damon Hill and Johnny Herbert. Both lovely men and great guests here on In The Pink. Loads more of them on the way. Great guests, that is. And thank you for your company. I hope you are having, have had a wonderful Christmas. And as 2020 draws to a close, I can't say I'm sorry to see the year end. And here's hoping for great new beginnings in 2021. Um, Loads of love to you all. And thank you for your company. Don't forget, you can still win loads of Bose goodies. All you have to do is tag in your friends on my Instagram page. Tell us who you want to hear from here on In The Pink and add the hashtag Bose. That's it for 2020. I will see you in the new year with loads more great guests and hopefully great conversation to entertain you throughout 2021. Bye-bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 